everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. As we come to God's word today, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. This fall, we're exploring the beautiful story of God and his work in our world and in our lives. And let's be honest, we need reminders of beauty. In this time when it feels like so much around us is so bleak, we feel the loss and the limitations from this virus in our lives. We hear the growing racial concerns. We see the deep divisions within our country. We watch the violence in so many of our cities. G.K. Chesterton noted that of all the original, of all the Christian doctrines, original sin is the most provable. And today we are going to see a shadow fall upon the initial beauty of God's creation. The moment when brokenness entered our world. And with the exception of Christ's death on the cross, there is no story in the Bible more tragic than this one of beauty threatened. Let me invite you to follow along, beginning with Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam... He said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Lord God, as we approach your word, how can we understand it? How can we hear what you have to say to us without your Holy Spirit's leading? And so, Lord God, we pray that as you have prepared a feast before us today from your word, that you will lead us in feeding from it, that we would hear the words you desire to say to each of us this day. And Lord, to help us do so, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds that would be receptive, and that you would give us hearts that would be responsive. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of Rembrandt's famous paintings was called the Night Watch. And for some reason, this work of art was vandalized three different times during the 20th century. The second of the three acts of violence against it occurred in 1975, when an individual with a butter knife slashed it more than a dozen times. Some of the cuts were more than two feet long. Uh, a foot of the canvas was ripped off the painting. But this is only one of many acts of violence against works of arts that are valued by this world. In 1991, an individual smashed Michelangelo's famous David statue with a hammer, breaking off a toe. Another of Michelangelo's famous works of art, the Pieta, in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, was attacked in 1971. An arm was broken off and a face was disfigured. When we hear about works of art being damaged like this, it feels as discordant as fingernails on a chalkboard. But friends, these and other acts pale in comparison to the marring of God's initial beauty. Earlier in chapter 3, we're told of Satan's successful attempt to turn God's children against him. He began by, by questioning the goodness of God's instructions to them. And he continues to do the same with us today as well. James Bryan Smith noted that sin finds its origin in a lack of faith. Once we question God's goodness in providing for our needs, the next step is we easily convince ourselves that we have a better way. And that's exactly what happened in the garden 
during this story. Eve distorted God's words of instruction to them. And Adam willingly joined into this first act of rebellion ever. The two insisted upon doing the one thing, just one thing that God had instructed them not to do. Suddenly, there was an awkwardness for the first time ever. It's not hard to imagine all of creation pausing in that moment, sensing an unfamiliar tension in the air. For this act began a ripple of devastating brokenness that has continued down through the centuries. This couple's first action was to hide from each other, to cover up their nakedness with garments that hadn't previously been necessary. But that pales in comparison to their next efforts to hide at the outset of our passage in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I wonder how many of us, when we were growing up, ever played the game hide-and-seek. That sounds a lot like what's going on here. But the stakes for Adam and Eve were so much greater than anything that we played for as children. And chances of success are not good when the one doing the seeking is God. Adam and Eve's response to God's approach reveals how dramatically things had already changed. He was no longer viewed as their loving creator, but as one that they needed to keep their distance from. And in the verses that follow, we see sin's impact upon their lives as well as upon ours today. We first see sin's distortion. Now, Adam and Eve obviously had already distorted God's instruction in a way that made sense for them to go against it. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. As acknowledgments of wrongdoing go, this one's pretty messy. It actually, for me, brings to mind the image of a parent in a room with a broken lamp 
and two children asking, who did this? And they each point to the other. Adam's first words point the finger at Eve, the woman. And then as if he hadn't fully covered his bases yet, it's almost as if he places blame upon God, whom you put here with me. And Eve, in turn, places blame upon the serpent for deceiving her. And it's only after these two have cast as much blame as they can upon everyone else that they each finally acknowledge, I ate it. We're given a glimpse of how easily sin can blind us from the truth of its presence in our lives. Let me pause and ask a question. When is the last time that you used the word sin to describe actions or words or attitudes that fell short? We don't tend to go there. Instead, we dismiss our actions as having a bad day or making a mistake. And like Adam and Eve, we, dis- we diminish the sin nature within that pushes against God's best for us. In our disappointment with the brokenness of this world, we often fail to acknowledge and to own our contribution to the marring of God's beauty. And then second, we see sin's consequences. St. Augustine describes sin as incurvatus in se. That's your Latin lesson for the day. It means curved in upon oneself. Sin is curved in upon ourselves. And this self-focus distances us from God. It distances us from others. And it distances us from the beauty that God has placed within us. Sin always has consequences. But the problem is we don't always realize them until after the fact. Look at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now notice something significant about God's pronouncement here. The serpent was cursed. The ground was cursed and became harder to work. Adam and Eve were not cursed. The love that God felt for them, the beauty that he still saw within them was every bit as strong as the first moments of creation. We have to believe that this moment must have been as hard for God as it is for any parent who has to discipline a child. For though Adam and Eve were not cursed, life became more difficult. God tells them that childbirth will become painful, that there would be a battle among the sexes for relational control. The ground would become harder to work, making work more of a challenge. And there's also the promise of death, which hadn't previously been a part of this story. Now let me make a quick side note on this Labor Day weekend that elevates the work that we do. Work itself was not cursed. Adam and Eve were given work to do at the initial creation. They were given responsibility over all that God had made. That didn't change. What changed was the shift of work to always being natural and pleasurable to often becoming a source of hardship and weariness. Make no mistake, in our work today, we are living out what God has placed within us and has equipped us to do. What a painful picture this is. What a disappointing contrast from the initial way that things were. But friends, there's more in this passage that we dare not miss that is part of God's beautiful story. For even greater than all of the loss and the rebellion is God's relentless pursuit Think about a a moment when you are wronged by someone else, when you are hurt by someone else. In those moments, we, we tend to step back from that individual. We create space from them. And we tell ourselves that if that relationship is to be reconciled, they need to be the first ones to make the first move. That's not how our Lord and creator operates. 
Listen again to verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Could we really have blamed God if he had thrown up his hands and walked away after Adam and Eve did the only thing he had told them not to do? Instead, we see the amazing depths of God's love for his children that our sin can never extinguish. Despite Adam and Eve's naivety in thinking that they could hide from him, he continued to pursue them. And he does the same today with us. Even when we hide from him with constant activity or with moments when we choose to do things our way rather than his or when we hide from him in our inattentiveness or in our spiritual apathy. God pursues us with the same love and relentlessness that we see in this story. You know, when it comes to the game of hide and seek, it would seem like one of the most discouraging things that could happen is that we could hide ourselves so well the other person stops looking. That will never happen with God. And I love the way Ken Geyer put it when he wrote, our greatest hope is that God is more persistent in his seeking than we are in our hiding." And so today and every day, God approaches each of us with the same question that he asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? If you are one who regularly pursues God, know that he is also in pursuit of you. If you feel like you fall short in your faithfulness in following God, know that that does not slow his pursuit of you one bit. And if you want nothing to do with God, maybe you're not even sure why you're watching this service this day, know that God is lovingly pursuing you. He'll never force himself upon us, but he patiently waits, longing for our response so that we can enjoy the fullness of all that a relationship with him has to offer. And this is a significant part of God's beautiful story. But you know what? There's more. For God refused to allow sin's brokenness and rebellion to have the last word. And so he put into place a beautiful plan of redemption. 
And today, at this table, we celebrate the lengths that God went to in restoring our relationship with him. Jesus entered our world to take upon himself the ugliness of our sin so that we could once again have the beauty that God intended. And so you could say that an underlying foundation of this table that we are about to approach is the beauty that God lovingly sees in each of us and his unrelenting pursuit to provide a way back to him. It becomes our remembered response to what God has done for us. As you come to the table today, I encourage you to listen for God's whispered invitation. Where are you? And to respond in this moment or perhaps later today in a way that draws you ever deeper into his loving embrace. Yes, beauty has been threatened. But thanks be to God that in his gracious provision, it is still a part of our story. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, thank you for seeing beauty within us, even when sin fills our lives. Thank you for pursuing us, even when we move away from you. Lord, thank you for this story today that as hard as it is to read, it reminds us of the lengths that you would go to to continue after us. And thank you for this table that is a constant reminder to us of your love, of your pursuit, and of your sacrifice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.